Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. We'll have our speakers up here in just a second. Uh, just a quick reminder for next week. Our session next week is on uh, solar power, the ups and downs of installing solar in Lethbridge. And in two weeks' time, our session will be on the Fair Election Act. So those are two big dates coming up. So next week's on solar, and two weeks from there is on the uh, Fair Elections Act. So with that, I'll invite our two speakers. I know they've been busy with interviews and trying to eat lunch and swallow, but we'll have them up here when they can. And uh, the mic is on the right corner over there, so identify yourself with your name and a brief question, and we'll take it from there. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jacinda and Linda, for your presentation and for coming here and explaining to us what's happening right here in Lethbridge. Uh, it seems to me <clears throat> when you... Oh, I'm Bev Mundell-Atherson. I'm sorry. It seems to me when they changed the four programs that were all focused on youth and changed it to an economic focus that they made an opportunity for things for that 58 million to go from actually serving the the aboriginal groups and the people who needed it to be open for business because i i noticed that you said you use the term economic basis many times and public and private and those are code words just to say that the money is going to go into the private sector. They're going to get some people in there who, who are going to be making money on this who are not the people who actually need it. And it's typical of our government that they didn't do a study to see if it was working. And many people at our, at our table who used to work at the research station talk about how money was taken away and then, then it, it never came till later. So my question to you is... <clears throat> Now that we are on the verge of having a federal election and potentially a new MP in Lethbridge, are you going to go and talk to each of the candidates for the four <clears throat> political parties, lay out what's going on, and find out what their plan is? Because certainly this looks like a very cynical plan to increase the increase the gap between the rich and the poor, put more money into the private sector, and take money away from our First Nations people. I think that would be definitely something that we would do as far as the, the election coming up soon, is definitely knowing where their platforms are. But it's definitely knowing with the different changes around specifically to urban Aboriginal people, that we would definitely bring that to the platform and get their scope and their feel for that. Um, and 
because it, it's important. I don't think many know the issues. I don't think many are actually informed of how and where dollars are going to be flowing through and, and what does that urban partnership part mean as far as the new program and what does that mean for private sector. You know, when we talk about the economic participation um, and when it hasn't been totally clearly defined as what that might look like or what it might look like within our own Aboriginal people, I, can, I think I can safely say is that um, there could be that possibility that it may not go everywhere that it needs to go. I th one of the lessons that we've learned as Aboriginal people is the importance to have really good relationships with the political entities that are around us. It's really important, and I think Jacinda's been excellent at being able to bridge those, those uh, um, relationships and to make them useful for us uh, and beneficial. I know we've got good relationships uh, with the agency, with the police services in the city, and and uh, all the key elements in Lethbridge, and of course, with the new elections happening, you have to be prepared for change again uh, at sometimes quite fundamental levels, and of course, it means re-educating. Um, Aboriginal people are constantly re-educating whenever there's changes. Uh, I did my degree at Trent, and they changed the president, and they were going to take all the elders out. We had to re-educate why that was important. So it's just a continual uh, piece that's part of our lives is, uh, in order to maintain just what we have. Uh, my name is Trevor Page. Uh, without getting into uh, the next election and who's going to be a uh, member of parliament, uh, since we are talking about uh, federal funding, have you been along to our current member of parliament, explained the problems that you face, and if so, what has been his response? individuals or community organizations and people that we have really good relationships with that we know the support will be there. With that being said, and knowing how things have um, knowing how things have rolled out um, and where the priorities are lie right now within our existing government. Um, I don't think they would be as supportive as the people that we have within our own existing community that has been wonderful and within our provincial counterparts that have been even more supportive as opposed to our existing um, member. I think I'm going to leave it as that. <laughs> While we're waiting for a, a questioner, I have a question and maybe you could elaborate. How well has this new program been 
or is it understood by the Aboriginal population outside of people that are, you know, in pro, uh, programs such as yours and in positions such as yours? I think as soon as the announcement came out, we tried to share as much as possible what the announcement meant. Um, and when we look at our circle of community, um, it's really about we have a huge community contact list of something like over 300 or so people in community, and that's just one one portion. Um, and we're hoping, and we have our Facebook, you know, there's things that we communicate using social media and, and also through words, you know, word of mouth and so forth. But um, we talk about within our circle of, of people who do know, and those are people who are directly affected. And I'm talking the projects um, that have been supported through the strategy who have been directly affected and coming together. One of the great things that happened was um, once the announcement happened, community came together and they had a, a meeting to discuss what can we do, how can we support, what's our, what's our, our response to this, what, what can we do. The first part was who's going to the regional meetings, because they did have regional meetings, um, six meetings across Canada. They had ours in Edmonton um, with no travel supports um, and so forth. So a lot of our people from our own community went on their own accord, um, and we're very thankful to that. But um, with those regional meetings, um, there wasn't a lot of um, information shared. But, but also, too, um, with that community that we met with and with our response was like to definitely send people to go and how can we support them in going. The other part, too, is how do we connect more so with our broader community? And the other part was looking at how do we gather letters of support that has our response attached to it individually, as organizations, as communities, as committees, and so forth, and how can we send those to the Minister of Aboriginal Affairs and Northern Development. So those are responses. There's some things that we're still working on. Again, though, our capacity is very quite diminished as what we can do right now, um, but as soon as um, we're flowing again, we're definitely going to bring that forward. I just want to recounter back to that last question, though. Um, saying to you is... <laughs> Um, is that had we had the opportunity, we definitely would have talked and shared with our MP. So I just wanted to put that back out there. <laughs> Hi, my name is Knut Peterson. Uh, I'm wondering about the uncertainty of funding now. Is how does that how does that affect your relationship working with city city groups? And uh, obviously, you might lose some good people in the meantime. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what that does to your programs? We, um, sorry. Um, we were really worried with decreasing our capacity of what we can do as an organization for community. We were worried about how that would affect our existing relationships. We were just getting momentum in our polls and really getting some really good things going. And then to have a halt to that, you know, there was the worry is, where is that going to go now? How is that, you know, how is that going to continue? And that worry is still here. I mean, we still really much worry about, you know, with our planning around health. And we, are, we have a dream, and we really would like our dreams to make, be realities. Um, in the interim right now, we know it's on hold. We know there's going to be something that's going to come in the future. We just don't know what that's going to be yet as far as what our role will be. Um, but I, I can say that we still have a wonderful relationship with the city of Lethbridge, with the different committees, with Shia, um, 
still, you know, talking to our different communities on the phone and, you know, and Facebooking, you know, like we don't want to lose that, con that contact and that connection that we have because it is fairly solid. And, and that has been our worry um, right from the beginning. And thankful to, you know, I'm going to see, I'm looking at Diane and I'm very thankful to Diane because she's been very supportive through this whole thing and Elizabeth and Trina. I see them all back there. You know, there's been wonderful supports in our community and that hasn't, um, and, I, oh, and I see Renee too. You know, Bob, there's so many, you know, and, I, and that, that list can go on, but we don't want to lose our connections. And, oh, and Les and Shirley. And, I'm sorry, I can go on. But um, we don't want to lose that connection because it's taken us a long time to make those relationships. And for a government to come in, and we're not just the only one, you know, for, it takes years to make those relationships fairly solid. And for one announcement, how easily that can just be diminished. Thank you very much. My name is Joseph Natuck. Uh, I'm almost speechless, but uh, I'll try and say something. I, I think it's it's a, it's a great job you did, you two ladies. I'm totally impressed, and I think it's really informative. The thing I want to mention to you is that uh, there's a lot of opportunities, and I, I'm on a whole bunch of committees advising the federal and provincial governments on things. And, you know, one of the biggest issues I have, and by the way, before I go there, my parents, uh, you know, come from a Slavic country, and you know what? The things you've talked about are so similar. And they, they always been and still are. They're very similar, so don't feel like you're alone because other cultures are having the same challenges. Now, what I was going to ask you is, what, what do you think we should be, uh, how you should improve your uh, uh, involvement, say, with advisory committees and so on and so forth? Because, I, I mean, not, not necessarily locally, but certainly provincially and nationally because I, I find it extremely, um, well, I don't know, I don't want to use the word frustration, but I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I feel empty when I, when I see that there's, a, there's an issue there that, de uh, talks, uh, that deals with, you know, provincial people, the, the, whole, the whole society. And, you know, oftentimes you're missing and, and as, as advisors. And I value your information and your wisdom. But uh, I, I guess there's reasons that I've been told that there isn't just enough time to go around. But my, my point is, can you make an observation? Is there any way we can help you get more involved and, and have input into these various organizations? Like odor management is a good example for pr province of Alberta. Thank you. Okay. Uh, thank you for that. Um, uh, you're expressing the same concern I have uh, as a board member, as a community member, and uh, basically what I'm what I'm feeling is is that the agencies and the association is so closely entangled in this decision that it's going to take people a little bit at arm's length in order to be able to perhaps create a voice in order to hold the government accountable. So in order to begin that initiatives, uh, yesterday I called Calgary and uh, sent out an email to all 15 cities. And what I'm hoping to do is to get hold of the board members that are um, sitting on these agencies and committees so that perhaps we as a coalition can actually make, you know, a statement uh, to hold the government accountable without consequence. And any other people that are interested that uh, would like to support that kind of initiative, it would be really appreciated. I just 
haven't quite figured out how to get the whole thing going, but uh, you know, I, I'm I'm working on that. <laughs> okay, thank you. My name is Frank Toth. I'm classed uh, by one of the directors as the radical of the group. <laughs> I grew up with a half a dozen Blackfoot Indian people. I wear headdresses all over my house and my car. All we can have is sympathy for the First Nations. It's unbelievable. Your delivery, by the way, your speeches are beautiful. But anyway, I just want to say I've visited your Friendship Center several times here and uh, try to help and advise uh, that uh, both provincially and federally we are governed by total oil shield dictatorship. And it's, it's sad. My question basically is, with all these new recommendations, plans, laws, they're passing, going out of their wits. What input did your First Nations have in the implementation of, of, these, uh, of these new fantastic rules and regulations? It was limited and sparse. <laughs> um, that was the term used by ANSI. Um, but we, back in the last summer, there was consultation. But we didn't know it was consultation for this. Um, <laughs> Elizabeth was there, a few others, I think Trina was there and Diane, um, but there was consultation that happened across Canada and different communities, um, but we don't know. I mean, they did it at a time it was summer, people are on holidays, people are, you know, there's not a lot of people around. There's the powwow trail that's happening, you know, um, so there wasn't a lot. We, we had a good, we had a good discussion at our table. But there was no mention about this new improved UAS or Urban Aboriginal Strategy. There was talk about how can we make things better. There was talks about um, how can we change some processes. Because there's always been issues of the funding and how, how it comes out so late. You know, and those are processes within government and how they do that. Um, but you know, we talked about things like that, even some of our community issues and things of how we can even do things better as a steering committee and you know, as a... As a um, as a group, but there was no discussion, and, and you can correct me too if I'm wrong for the people that were there, but it didn't, it really didn't hint to the present strategy or the situation. We didn't talk about, you know, any dissolving of Friendship Center program or the cultural connections for youth. Mm -hmm. And just to go into those, the cultural connections for youth is huge. Like all the different youth that are displaced because of that, it's huge. So as far as consultation, um, it was limited. Hi there. Uh, my name is Bob Cooney. Two questions. Uh, actually, one, one reminder. Uh, you folks are going to City Council at the end of the month, and I think if people are interested in showing their support for the group, this would probably be a helpful opportunity to, to do so. So there's the pitch. Um, the question I do have relates, I think, more to the actual numbers and tangible outcomes of some of your programs. How many people are we talking about, um, apart from your staff who are unemployed, how many people are you now not able to serve? How many? families, the children, youth, um, community members are going to be uh, basically put to disadvantage as a result of this. I think just putting that number into perspective for us is going to help us look at the magnitude of how this actually is going to truly affect your organization. We talked about the actual impact when we came together to meet about 
having our, re- our reaction or our response to the announcement. We couldn't pintail exactly what those numbers are. We, you know, according to stats, we have 4,490 people that live that are Aboriginal in our community. That's just on paper, but we know that number is huge. When we look at, and we were just looking at, you know, with we look at, <laughs> I mean, Red Cross had a huge number of people that they, you know, someone had said 300. That was maybe just for one program. But that 300 was individuals. When we talk about people who access these programs, those individuals, because they're going for a service or address something that's, you know, that they need to address within themselves, it doesn't just affect them, it affects their families, their children, their families, their parents, you know, and so forth. It has such a ripple effect within community. And we don't just look at, too, as the people that we serve. We, we guessed at least, because we have a, we, we guess we estimated about 10,000 Aboriginal people that live in Lethbridge. We thought that was safe enough to assume. With that being said, um, so you times that. So again, you times up with their families because we have mixed families. Not everyone's um, completely all full. We have you know different dynamics within our family systems. But the other part to that is our partnerships and how we relay within our schools, within our other organizations and communities. You think about the cultural awareness that we are able to provide through our different programs and events that we do. When you look at that number, and we looked at the province of Alberta, or no, the city of Alberta, sorry, (laughs) I'm looking too broad. When we look at city of Lethbridge, is that that number is huge. We kind of figured, I don't know, and maybe I'm throwing it, maybe it might be a little bit too far, but we thought it affects our whole community. Because when you think about all of that, you know, because we all deal with services, we all have services, we all have things that we access, and, we, and it's also about the visibility. We think about human rights and racism, discrimination that happens within our city. You know, a lot of our programs support support our Aboriginal people to to deal with that. But when you think about that, there's also supports for the broader community to how to deal with that effectively. So there's teachings that happen. So when we think about that, any time there's something that's on the news that's showing showcasing one of the projects or something that's going on within the schools that's FNMI related or whatever the case might be, that's showcasing to the whole community. So that's just my thought on that. Hi, my name is Henning Mundel. I have one question, but it deals with two organizations. Um, If you could comment in relation to these two organizations, your urban Aboriginal programming involvement before March 31, 2014, and then potentially going forward after April 1, whenever, of the um, Native Women's Transition Center and the involvement with the Lethbridge campus of Red Girl College. As of April 1st, I'm going to say, just because I know programs that were supported through the strategy, um, both programs weren't directly affected by that because they have their own different streams of funding and so forth. However, after April 1st, because we talk about the economic participation, we know that there's going to be uh, opportunities for further programs for training and employment, um, other types of, of services that can be provided. They talk a little bit about, too, in the new enhanced strategy of how they can support individuals to become involved in the economic um, 
or to become participants in the economy. So we're hoping that would provide some supports for women. So when we think about the transition home, we are, we're hoping that will also provide some supports as around uh, housing. So because, you know, in order to live in Lethbridge, we need somewhere to live. Um, you know, so there has to be some supports around that. So we're hoping, and and this is something, too, that I think a lot of our different cities are advocating for and lobbying for, is that they don't forget about those those areas of need. Um, we can definitely say that most likely, and I, I, I can't speak for Red Crow Community College or for Blackfoot Family Lodge, but I can say is that there would be some opportunity to enhance what they do already. And from what they do as far as programming is only going to enhance the individuals in their programs to be even more um, successful and have healthy lifestyles. My name is Henry Heinen. And the question I'm raising is that we have a by-election in Lethbridge on May the 12th with 10,000 or plus Aboriginal folks living in the city. Is it possible, we could talk about strategic voting, we have an Aboriginal candidate to somehow make sure that he gets the votes, it's usually very low turnout to begin with in a by-election, that you get representation at that level on city council. And a follow-up question that is, if, like now you're, say, 4.6% of the population in this country, it's always been my belief that as the First Nations of this country, that you should be guaranteed to have 4.6% of the federal seats designated for that, so again, that you're always in Ottawa, and we don't have to have all these difficulties of people demonstrating. We finally get a meeting with the Prime Minister and company to sit down and talk about all that stuff so that it would be an ongoing thing. Now, part of the problem, I think, is having been around for quite a while with Aboriginal folks and so on. Sometimes, amongst your folks, you don't have unanimity. And if you go back a couple of years in terms of children's services legislation on the reserve, it was all in place. It was the first. It was wonderful work and then in the plebiscite or referendum on the blood reserve, I think the folks were scared because they knew what they had, you know, the, uh, the, the white society seeing for their best interest, and they voted it down. So maybe some comments. Thank you. My goodness. That's a loaded question. <laughs> Holy smokes. Yeah, there is a lot of... Uh, of various views within the Aboriginal population. Um, we have an older generation that's, uh, that's almost afraid of letting go of the Indian Act. And uh, I've been involved in self-government uh, initiatives on, on some reserves, developed incredible packages, independence, self-government, their own constitutions. But when you put it forward to the people they vote it down. And it's a matter of, of uh, not so much um, not wanting to take control of, of their own uh, initiatives. It's more a lack of education of uh, our histories, of, our, of maintaining our own governments to know what exactly it is that you're, you're switching to. Um, our, our knowledges are very fragmented on the reserves, our education levels are, are very poor on the reserves. Uh, 
Uh, there's a lot of big families on the reserves, and all those dynamics uh, have a tendency to sway votes, etc. And uh, with with those kinds of things in play, it makes it very difficult. My my sense is is that the the change will occur when we get more of our youth through university, and we get more education. And when we do get people coming to the university, it's my view that what we're doing is stealing horses. We're just there to bring the theories and the knowledge back home so that we can rebuild. And it's not about losing your identity or anything like that. So we just need to build that uh, depth in our communities. And it'll probably take about another 10 years. And I think you'll... I know out on the Bloods, uh, with the last election, there were several of the new candidates that came through the university. So you're starting to see that uh, movement and and whatnot, but it will take some time. And uh, it's fear. Um, you have to remember that you've got um, institutionalized people. They've been controlled. Every element of their lives have, have been controlled under the Indian Act, for over a hundred years, and uh, that institutionalization—it's uh, systemic, and uh, it uh, creates a, a mentality that we're all dealing with um, in society as a result of that. And uh, recreating and reconnecting to that independence is the foundation that we need, and it will come through education, I believe. So I don't know if I answered your question, but. <laughs> Uh, we have one more question. Hang on, ladies. And this will be our last question. Hello, good women. Um, <clears throat> I just wanted to make a couple of... Oh, my name is Elizabeth, and I coordinate Native Student Advising at the University of Lethbridge. So I see a lot of our students um, at the university. We have about 400 First Nations, Métis, and Inuit students um, and I know there's another approximately three at um, the college. So, and that's, and their families are, they brought their families with them. So we do have quite a population here. And actually, um, I accessed funding and uh, uh, very successful programs at the university. Our students, um, we're given a $500 bursary in exchange for volunteer work out in the community and um, just kind of help them get through um, some of the tough times that they were experiencing. And that happened for um, three years, and then bang, that funding was gone. So then um, <clears throat> submitted another proposal and got a researcher to research where we could find Aboriginal dollars because that's something that... Um, the support workers at the university don't have time to do. And, um, and that uh, ended up in a, a significant, bringing a significant amount of dollars into the university. So it's not just the loss of, you know, these programs. It's the loss of big dollars to our community. And I'd also like to say that, um, you know, we're constantly in a state of building and rebuilding our communities. And... Um, <clears throat> Just as soon as we seem to get a successful formula, you know, it's gone again. And, <clears throat> you know, there's this notion, this idea out there that 
uh, we as First Nations people keep getting all of this money. Um, well, I want to say that <clears throat> we as First Nations people here in the city of Lethbridge are predominantly volunteers dedicating our own time um, to make these programs happening. Um, the Aboriginal Council of Lethbridge had, what, 1.5 employees to educate a whole city um, and to um, do all the programs. And I was also part of that. the recommendations that we sent forward to um, uh, in the consul- consultations. And one of our recommendations was for them to streamline their process because they have a whole layer of management that is making a lot of money um, and <clears throat> we're operating on volunteers and minimal minimal employees. And um, <clears throat> uh, one of the recommendations was for them to streamline, to streamline the process, to streamline, just to streamline. Well, they ended up turning around and streamlining us. And so it's a huge disappointment. And... Um, I guess that's all I have to say, but I know I know how hard these people have worked to try and bring awareness to the city of Lethbridge. And um, there's, there's a few of us here in this room, and it's always the same people that are showing up to do the work. So um, I want to thank you for your perseverance and tenacity. Thank you, Elizabeth. Well, with that... Thank you very much, ladies, for coming here and uh, giving us this presentation today.